Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, rushing! Deep left field! This is way back! Walk Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy Here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. It's never too early for 2024 rankings. And first up, we have catchers. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today on Tuesday, October 17th. And I'm back. Frank Stample here, joined by Scott White. Today on the show, we enter our position recap portion of the offseason. Today, we'll focus on the top catchers from 2023. We'll take an early look at Scott's catcher rankings for 2024 as well. Also, what's the latest in the playoffs? We'll get to that just a little bit later on. Scott, great job holding it down. You and the Welsh. I yeah. listened to both episodes on the way back, my eight and a half hour flight from Germany. I had not much else going on. So I was like, let me listen, see how they did. And let me say, you guys did almost a little too good. If a I little say so. too good for you. <laughs> I, I mean, I just came on here and did my normal thing. So I guess most of the credit goes to the Welsh who did an admirable job filling in. As the host, I mean, he served as the host for a very brief interim period before you were ever the host. So that should uh, that should get you sweating too, Frank. No, it's good to have you back. It's we missed you, and uh, it's rare that we it's rare that you ever are not here. I'm glad you got to take some time off, and I'm glad that you're back. Yeah, fantastic time out in Poland visiting my uh, wife's in-laws. She has a lot of family out there. We went to a wedding. We went to a salt mine. I got to try some exotic food that I've never had before. So uh, awesome time out in Poland. Um, you went to the salt mines. <laughs> yes, I went to a salt mine. It's like, a, I don't know, a big uh, landmark kind of historical thing that people go to there. And uh, you, yeah, you really cool. know how to take a fr- vacation, Frank. <laughs> I went to the salt mine on my vacation. You know what was so interesting? They uh, they told people that they can lick the walls of the salt mine. Now, you know, it's been kind of a crazy couple of years, so I'm not sure that uh, I clearly did not lick the wall. But uh, yeah. yeah, there was other people licking the wall, and apparently it was really salty. So I wouldn't mind licking a wall. Made of salt. But But I would mind licking where others have licked I, I i guess that's really the i guess that's really the hang up there right? uh, yes yes indeed uh not that i want to flip this podcast on its head and kind of go, go down a negative route scott but we were talking beforehand a lot has happened in baseball since i was last year a lot has happened in the playoffs one mm-hmm. of those things is that our world series prediction is completely gone the atlanta right. braves the tampa bay rays they're all gone what happened scott Oh, I mean, everybody who, who's been on this podcast, all four of us, the two of us and the Chris's, we all predicted the Braves to win. So all of our World Series uh, predictions are done. The Welsh still has the Astros and is his World Series loser. You're asking me what happened? Yeah, what happened? Baseball, baby. That's yeah. baseball, Susan. I, uh, obviously, I was, I'm more, I was more invested in the, Brave, in the Braves winning than any of you. And uh, I was pretty bummed out by that. I'm I'm kind of I'm a little surprised how bummed out I was considering they just won 2 years ago and of course nobody's going to be sad for a team that just won 2 years ago. So I was trying to analyze my feelings, okay, why is, does this bother me so much? And I think it really um 
I think it comes down to two things. One is that, well, they just won two years ago. And I, I feel like I've, I feel like I've had a very healthy perspective. I've developed a very, a, a, a very healthy perspective on playoff disappointment from being a Braves fan in the nineties and, uh, you know, recognizing the random nature of baseball over a short sample size in that, you know, no team get, who gets the playoffs isn't entitled to anything. My team has now won two World Series championships in my lifetime, 1995 and 2021. And if there's an even distribution of world championships, then that's all any fan should really expect to see in his lifetime is two World Series championships, unless you're going to live beyond 90, which I don't expect to do. Maybe. <laughs> Nobody should expect to live beyond 90, right? Uh, so I've already I've already gotten my life's allotment of World Series championships. And, and so I should, you know, I try to keep that perspective. But 2021 showed me that it doesn't have to end in heartbreak. And so, you know, maybe I did get a little entitled. I don't know. That's 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 factor number one. Two, I just said it. All four of us picked the Braves to win. Everybody was picking the Braves to win. They were clearly the standout team in baseball this year. And I've, I've kind of, over, over my time being a fan of sports, a sports fan, I, I started out when, when I didn't have a rooting interest in a game, I would root for the underdog. I think we all kind of naturally identify with the underdog and it's more exciting. It's, you know, we want to see something unexpected happen. So we tend to root for the underdog. But something changed over the course of my fandom where I started Certainly in, in, in the case where there was a big disparity between the two teams, and particularly in the case where there is a team that is clearly, there's a clear number one team in the league that year. They're, they're kind of the center of attention all year. The year is all about them. I kind of just want to see them complete that. You know, I don't want to have this, this mental hurdle looking back on that year. Like, okay, I know this team was the championship, I mean, I know this team was the champion, but really, I actually know this other team was the best team that year. It it, it bugs me, for instance, that the 2007 Patriots didn't complete that perfect season. And Lord knows the Patriots don't need another Super Bowl championship. So it's not about that. It's just like that was one of the best football teams any of us have ever seen in our lifetimes. And for some reason, we have to acknowledge that the Giants were actually the champion that year that just like that that bugs me but so you add you you take that and you add it to the fact that it was my own team that was the front runner here and couldn't pull it off very frustrating i was also telling you before the show that uh normally you know one of these ways i've i kind of rationalize playoff disappointment is okay such a small sample A, a team a good team can have a stretch where things go wrong over this length of time at any point during the season. If, if they Braves had a four-game stretch like this in June, wouldn't admit anything to anybody, but it happens to happen now in October when, when that four-game stretch will send you home, and so it looks worse. But the Braves, this Braves offense, record-setting offense, you know, no lead, no, no deficit ever seemed unsurmountable for them. They, they played with this effortlessness that that made it seem like nothing could phase them all year long. They never had a four-game stretch all season. I went, look, they never had a four-game stretch where they scored just eight runs like they did that four-game stretch against the Phillies. So uh, it, it's hard to rationalize in that way. It all, adds, it all adds up to it being a big disappointment. Uh, but congratulations to the Phillies who seem like a wrecking ball right now. They, they seem to have found... They, they seem to have found that extra uh, extra gear that often propels teams to championships. Then again, they also seem to find it last October and it didn't, it, it suddenly ended. Hopefully, I guess for their fans' sake, it doesn't end this time. They're off to a good start here, obviously. Game one of the NLCS on Monday night. They had a big win against the Diamondbacks. I expect them to beat the Diamondbacks. I don't know. I'm kind of spinning my wheels here at this point. I think there was something else I wanted to say. I'll get back to it, I guess. I've talked for probably seven minutes straight. Uh, yeah, no, maybe not seven, but at least five. I, I think around five, but that's that's fine. We'll get to the, the Phillies again a little bit later on, but they are 
a wrecking ball right now, as you mentioned, Castellanos, Bryce Harper, and, and this is kind of the Phillies offense that we were kind of waiting to turn it on and click all together all season long, and it looks like it's finally happening in the playoffs. And, uh, yeah. you know, I think that's what's really cool about the MLB playoffs is that it's not always the best team that wins. It's it's whoever's hot at the right time, and I kind of like that aspect of it. It, it adds to the drama, right? You never know what's going to happen in the baseball playoffs, and we're seeing that play out right now. The Diamondbacks swept the Dodgers. It's crazy. Crazy stuff. Anywho, let's get into uh, our 2023 catcher recap and uh, taking a look at the position overall. We had two names ranked inside the top 100 uh, in terms of overall Roto rankings. Last year, we had three. And back in 2020, uh, 2021, we only had one. That was Salvador Perez. He was like the seventh overall player that year, something ridiculous like that. So seemed like a pretty normal season in terms of like top 100 performers at the catcher position. And the number one catcher might surprise you a little bit. But it wound up being William Contreras, who finished 70th overall in Roto, 291 batting average, 17 homers, 86 runs scored, uh, 78 RBI. And uh, he was helped out by a bunch of volume, 611 plate appearances, second among catchers. He still hits way too many ground balls, Scott, but he hits the ball extremely hard uh, and he plays a lot. So I think, you know, those things all kind of added up here to uh, William Contreras being the best catcher in fantasy. Yeah, I mean that at bats thing is is significant. Uh, how much he got to, how much time he spent at DH. I, I think it will surprise a lot of people that he finished number one, and and that's really mostly what it's about is that the run advantage, the RBI advantage he got over other catchable catcher eligible players, eighty six runs, seventy eight RBI. Those are high totals for players at this position. Of course, he had to be good too. But uh, when I was going through and putting together my early rankings for twenty twenty four. I had a hard time sorting out exactly who should go where because it seems like there is a lot. There are a lot of catchers who are similarly capable at the plate, and and so I think when you have one like this and William Contreras, who seems to get a big playing time advantage, that that can make all the difference. And I, we'll see what the Brewers do in the off season, but I don't expect it to change. I think they value having his bat in the lineup enough to to stick him at DH as often as they did. Yeah, and speaking of playing time advantages, that brings us to the number two catcher this past season, Adley Rutschman. He finished 92nd overall in Roto. He was the number one catcher in head-to-head points leagues. In the prime of his career, he turns 26 this offseason. Wound up hitting 277 with 20 homers, 84 runs, 80 RBI, and 809 OPS. He is in a different stratosphere when it comes to playing time. 154 games played, 687 plate appearances, both led the position by far. Uh, Contreras, again, was second with 611 plate appearances. So a 76 plate appearance difference here for Adley Rutschman. Um, it also helps that, uh, again, he got a lot of those games at DH. Uh, fantastic plate discipline. He doesn't hit the ball all that hard, Scott. But again, he just makes up with it by sheer volume. How much Adley Rutschman is on the field. And he actually out, uh, underperformed his expected numbers a little bit, so... Maybe mm-hmm. maybe he even gets better next year. Yeah, I think there's a good chance of that. I mean, this was his first full season in the majors. He's still 25 years old. He's a very disciplined hitter, which helps a lot. His expected batting average was 290. So he was 94th percentile for that. His expected slug was 76%. You, you said he said 76%. percentile. You said he underperformed that too, and that's true. The exit velocities, you know, I'm kind of just repeating everything you said at this point. They're not that they're not that impressive, but Statcast still thinks it should have translated to elite numbers, and it, it more or less did, but with even more room there, as you pointed out. JT Real Muto finished as the number three catcher. He was 109th overall in Roto. He was the fifth catcher in head-to-head points leagues. Kind of getting up there in age. Turns 33 years old in March. He hit 252 with 20 home runs, 16 stolen bases, a 762 OPS. No longer a standout in terms of playing time at the position. His 135 games were tied for eighth among catchers. Uh, and it was a down year. The strikeout rate was a career high 25.6%. He hit more fly balls as well, which led to uh, a slightly lower BABIP than we're used to seeing from uh, JT Real Muto. Oddly enough, Scott, I'm surprised he didn't run more. He had 16 steals, was tied for most with Dalton Varsho, who no longer has catcher eligibility. But yep. JT Real Muto still 84th percentile in sprint speed, so that was a little surprising to me. 
I don't know. He's still far and away the the catcher. Yeah, Connor Wong was like the next actual catcher who had only eight stolen bases. So right now the Varsha's gone. It's it's if if you're looking to get stolen bases from a catcher, Rio Muto is is the only reliable source of them. There there are some up and comers who may be, be a source of them. Bo Naylor mm-hmm. comes to mind, but. Uh, you know, until we actually see it from them and, and know exactly what the playing time is going to look like, it's hard to pencil him in for that. Like it is with, unlike with Real Muto, who we know is is likely to give you somewhere between fifteen and twenty steals. Is that enough in this current stolen base environment that you should mark him up for next year? Mark up Real Muto. I think that's a fair question. I, I think we have to consider how legit we think the decline was. And, and you mentioned it was a career-high strikeout rate. The guy's going to be 33 on opening day next year. It's, just, it's getting pretty old for any position, but especially a catcher. And uh, has a lot of mileage on him from those years where he, he got so many at-bats, so many starts behind the plate. I do still have him as my number two catcher for Roto Leagues next year because of the stolen bases, because of the track record, because those two things were enough to break sort of the five-way tie or whatever it is, six-way tie with with other catchers who are in the discussion. But it wouldn't surprise me if JT Realmuto takes another step back next year. And um, by at this point next year, we might no longer consider him top five at the position. Yeah, I can honestly see it going either way, which I know isn't very helpful for people listening. I mean, obviously, we have a bunch of bunch more time to figure out how we actually feel about him this offseason. But something mm-hmm. weird that I noticed, he hit really badly at home, 198 with a 576 OPS in Citizens Bank Park, which is typically one of the better hitters parks. And last, last year in 2022, he hit 314 with a 909 OPS there. So I think if there's any positive regression for him hitting at home like obviously that'll affect his overall numbers quite a bit I don't know if we could bank on that because again like you said he's getting older but uh, it was just kind of a weird thing that I noticed about his season yeah that's that's a fair observation I, I think if you want to take anything away from our uncertainty about Rio Muto it's that probably not somebody we're going to be highly invested in just given it depends fact- how much of a discount I think we get, you know? Right. But if he's everybody's number two catcher drafted, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say Adley Rushman is my number one. So if, if Real Muto's, and I think that's going to be the chalk pick, Rushman number one at the position. Mm-hmm. But if Real Muto's everybody's number two at the position, okay, let's say number two doesn't go until round six or seven even. Well, you still know there are all these other comparable catchers available after him. I, I just don't, unless he goes out of order, you know, and, and gets pushed down that tier of catchers, I, I just don't think I'm confident enough in him anymore to, to, uh, to buy in on him before when there are still other good options at the position. So <laughs> I'm reluctant to even bring this up, Scott, but I will do it anyway. Just to kind of throw some numbers out there. But there have been two drafts completed over at the NFBC for next season already. Uh And JT Real Muto's early ADP is 68.5. So a mid-sixth round pick. I nailed it then. There you go. Yeah, he's going four picks after Adley Rutschman. And then the third catcher doesn't go until the ninth round. So there's a... Yeah, there's a huge jump. That's a pretty big gap, yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, look, thing, I, things I, I are going to change. I don't know that 15 steals from Real Muto, from Real Muto or, or my catcher spot, if you prefer to think of it that way. I, I don't I don't know that it's worth it to me, given the uh, round six, I might be looking pretty hard at starting pitcher, you know? Yep. But again, it's just such a small sample size, only two drafts done so far, but just a, a very, very early look. The number four catcher this past season was Will Smith, who finished 114th overall in Roto. He was the third best catcher in head-to-head points leagues. In the prime of his career, he'll turn 29 years old next March. He hit 261 with 19 home runs, 80 runs scored, 76 RBI. He missed 12 games earlier in the season with a concussion. Um, and it turns out he was actually playing through an injury. I'll get to that in just a bit. Remember, Scott, I suspected before the year that Will Smith won't get as many starts as at DH because they had... J. 
J.D. Martinez on the roster, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, Will yep. Smith only had 14 starts at DH this year compared to 24 in 2022. He fell off really badly in the second half. He had 242 with a 701 OPS, and I was reading an article. It turns out that he was playing through a fractured rib and an oblique strain that he suffered in late April, and apparently it didn't really start to affect him physically until around July, which you know would mm. very easily explain what happened to him in the second half. So I think it's just a long way to say I think Will Smith is probably still a stud and a standout at the position. I mean, that sounds bad, playing through that. I, I, yeah. it, it might be too convenient of an explanation to say, oh, when he was going well, it wasn't bothering him. It was only yeah. when he started struggling. Because if you look at the, the final slash line for Will Smith, 261, 359, 438, almost exactly the same as last year. And um, it's, it's obviously good production for a catcher. Uh, well, it'll be interesting to see what the Dodgers do about the DH bot if they bring back J.D. Martinez. Of course, they're rumored to be in on Shohei Otani. So that could, either one of those guys could gobble up all the DH at-bats again and, and leave Will Smith short of the career-high 578 plate appearances he got in 2022 when he did get a lot of time at DH. So that'll be something to monitor in the offseason. But I, I, I feel like there's long been this belief that Will Smith has another gear he hasn't quite achieved yet. Like we're waiting for him to revolutionize the catcher position and become this generation's Mike Piazza or whatever. Right? Maybe not that high end, but you you get what I'm saying. Yeah. He's 29. You know, I, I think 260 hitter with 20 to 25 homer pop. That's I I think that's just who he is. Yeah. And. uh Again, there are a lot of catchers who I feel like can do that now. If he's not going to get that at bat advantage at DH, I, I don't know that Will Smith is necessarily worth paying up for either. All right, the number five catcher from this past season, Cal Raleigh. He finished 118th overall in Roto. He was the fourth best catcher in head-to-head points leagues. Also in the prime of his career, turns 27 years old in November. He wound up hitting 232 with 30 home runs, 78 runs scored, 75 RBI. And the playing time was also huge for Cal Raleigh. 145 games were second most at the position. 569 plate appearances were fourth most. 30 home runs very clearly led all catchers. He has 57 home runs over the past two years, by far the most. Salvador Perez is next up uh, at 46 home runs. Scott, Cal Raleigh made legitimate um, improvements this past season. The, I mean, the overall th- story here is he's, you know what you're going to get. It's a low batting average, but a lot of home runs and, and pretty good counting stats for a catcher. Yeah, he improved just enough in the areas that were most dragging down his batting average so that the batting average was able to to be respectable. He ended up hitting 232 compared to 211 last year. You'll take 32, 232 from the player who is, you know, maybe the best power hitter at the position. The strikeout rate improved from 29.4% to 27.8, so still bad but better. The fly ball rate became not quite as extreme as it was last year, still pretty high. That's how he gets the power. So you don't necessarily want him to to go too far the other way, but I, I think he kind of optimized his profile in 2023, which on the one hand, you could be like, okay, well, there's only there's only one way to go, and it's down from here. But on the other hand, he kind of bolstered his standing in fantasy uh, as okay, we didn't we didn't know if he could even follow up on his breakout 2022 season much less improve on it and now i think we trust that cal raleigh is is in it for the long haul as a as a viable fantasy option behind the plate i know it sounds weird but i feel like he might be a better points league target just because of the volume right obviously the strikeouts you lose points for those but i I just can't really see myself targeting a catcher Maybe he won't go that early, but in a roto league where he drags down the batting average that much, I just don't know if I would target a catcher like that. But in a points league, you don't really care about the batting average. It's just what are the overall points? And this past season, he was good. He was, you know, the fourth best catcher in head-to-head points. So uh, I don't know. That's kind of like my early take on on Cal Raleigh, I suppose. Let's take our first break. When we return, we'll get into the rest of the top 10 catchers from this past season. We'll do that right after this. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back into Fantasy Baseball today, and let's continue on. The number six catcher from this past season was Jonah Heim. He finished 133rd overall in Roto. He was also the sixth best catcher in head-to-head points leagues. Broke out in a big way, hit 258 with 18 home runs, 95 RBI, which led the position by far. Salvador Perez and Adley Rutschman were both tied for second with 80 RBI. Uh, Jonah High missed some time with a strained tendon in his left wrist and actually struggled quite a bit after returning. Before the injury, he was hitting 280 with 14 home runs and an 816 OPS. I just don't really see like a standout skill here, Scott. I mean, there's not like he hits the ball extremely hard or anything. I mean, the expected numbers were okay. I, I think he really just benefited from hitting in the middle of a really, really good lineup this year. Yeah, of all the catchers we've talked about so far Jonah Heim is the one who I'm downgrading the most for next year and maybe the Rangers lineup will be just as amazing as it was this year but that does seem to be like the the strength for Jonah Heim and skills wise as you as you point out there's nothing that really stands out there and he crashed pretty hard at the end of the season. Now he was playing with the uh, through the wrist injury, the tendon sheath in his wrist, that they're now saying won't require surgery. So how much had it already healed by the time he came back? How much more can it heal in the offseason? How much does the decline at the end of the season, how much of it is explained by the injury and how much of it was just natural regression? I think these are all fair questions because... Let's see. Heading into the All-Star break, he was batting 282. Uh, and you mentioned he finished batting 258. I, I think, you know, expect a batting average for the year 254. You know, that that first half did a lot of the heavy lifting for Jonah Heim. And I just don't know that he has the skills to uh to live up to those first half numbers again, the second half or at least the overall numbers, might be the best we can expect from him moving forward. And, and yeah, a lot of it's going to depend on what the lineup around him does, what he does with his spot in that lineup. All right, the number seven catcher was Salvador Perez, who finished 155th overall in Roto. He was the 10th best catcher in head-to-head points leagues and turns 34 years old next May in the middle of the season. Uh, wound up hitting 255, 23 homers, 80 RBI, 714 OPS. On paper, it looks like a solid season, but there were points where Salvador Perez was borderline unusable, and maybe that was because of so many injuries he played through. He had blurred vision, a bruised left hand, a foot injury, strained left hamstring, neck tightness. He suffered a concussion in September, which ended his season. Uh, But if you look at the OPS from June through August... 523 in June, 618 in July, 632 in August. I mean, it, this was really, really bad stuff. And turning 34 four years old next year, Scott, unless we get mm-hmm. a pretty big discount on Salvador Perez, I I kind of feel like this is just a, you know, the start of the end for him. I think we are going to get a, a pretty big discount. It, it kind of depends what you mean by that. I have him 10th among catchers for okay. next year. So, I mean, still one spot ahead of Jonah Heim. Would you rather have Heim or would you rather have Salvador Perez? Just probably Perez reaction. I think Perez. Yeah. Okay. That's what I was thinking too. What his numbers have looked like the past two years. And I know there have been a lot of injuries. 
along the way that, you know, coming off 2022, we were giving him a pass for, maybe less so now. But what the numbers actually look like from the past two years are basically who he was prior to the shortened 2020 season, meaning good home run and RBI production for a catcher, but really not much else there. Middling batting average, you know, he's not going to score many runs with as a low OBP guy in a bad lineup. Just kind of helpful in those two categories and not much else. And that 2021 season, really it started 2022, the shortened season, but those that two-year period looks like an outlier for Salvador Perez, where he found another level that made him a stud in fantasy. But for most of his career, he's been just kind of this two-category specialist at the position. And so that's how I'm treating him moving forward. With one caveat, and that is when he was like this previously, pre-2020 for Salvador Perez, he was a playing time standout at the position. He logged so many more bats than most every other catcher, and that helped to set him apart further. I don't think he's there anymore. He played only 91 games at catcher this year. That's a, That number's been going down over the years. A lot of his playing time this year came to first base, got 23 games at first base, 21 starts at first base. Vinny Pasquantino is going to be back next year. True. I don't know how available those at-bats are going to be for Salvador Perez, but it doesn't seem like they want him behind the plate as much as they used to. Now he could spend some time at DH, but there, there, are fewer, there are fewer avenues to playing time for Salvador Perez probably next year than there were this year. And given the stage of his career he's in, uh, I, I don't know that they're... I don't know that they're going to let him take off every opportunity he can to be in the lineup. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I kind of had the opposite take, Scott, because considering all the injuries that Salvador Perez kind of played through, he still finished with 140 games played, right? Like, that's pretty impressive considering, you know, everything he dealt with. Again, he's not going to have first base available, as you mentioned, but I don't know, like their DH right now, according to roster resources, Edward Olivares. I think Salvador Perez could get like, a good amount of starts there next season. So I don't know. I think in terms of play, um, playing time, he's probably still fine. It's just, yeah, the, yeah. the production is, is not great. Um, I, 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 that's not the right way to phrase it. Cause you're right. I mean, he's kind of the player he was before this, like that random two year breakout for him. So he's fine. Yeah. He's fine. And like, he could, what you're saying with the at bats, like, Okay, they they found the at-bats for him this year. I'm just wondering how much longer that's going to be true. And now an avenue's been taken away, like I said. So, uh, I don't know. We'll see. But name- we'll, we'll see what they do in the offseason. I mean, they might bring in yeah. a bat or two, and, and that'll make it clearer. <laughs> I was going to joke and say, uh, well, we know they're not going to sign anybody because the Royals don't really spend money. Uh, but right. he's, he's also his name has been floated out there in trade rumors, too. So, I guess that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we'll see on Salvador Perez. Uh, the number eight catcher this past season was Wilson Contreras. He finished 164th overall in Roto, the eighth best catcher in head-to-head points leagues. Also kind of getting up there in age. I hadn't realized he turns 32 years old next season in the month of May. He wound up hitting 264 with 20 home runs, 67 RBI, six steals, and an 826 OPS. You basically have to factor in that Wilson Contreras is going to miss some time, at least one IL stint throughout the course of the season. That's, basically been the case that each of the past three years. Um, and it's kind of a tale of two seasons. His first half was very disappointing. And then a massive second half where Wilson Contreras hit 309, 10 home runs a 959 OPS with a 13% barrel rate. That's kind of who he is, Scott. I mean, he's, he's been very streaky over the past couple of years. Statcast numbers are still awesome. Uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I, I still kind of like Wilson Contreras. Like if he, it's going outside the top 100. I can see kind of targeting him as my first catcher in a two-catcher league, something like that. Yeah, I think that's fine. He is on the lower end for me of that group of catchers that I think are pretty similar. And just like his brother, William Contreras, is elevated by playing time, Wilson Contreras is... is uh, what's the opposite of elevated? He's moved down because of playing time. That's the biggest distinction between the two Contreras brothers. I mean, by the StatCast readings, you pointed out they were great for Wilson. They're actually better than Williams' StatCast readings. But yeah. 
William is the one playing virtually every day while Wilson, and I know there was an IL stint in there, but, you know, he was sitting every third or fourth game most of the year. And uh, to give you some idea of the difference that made, 55 runs, 67 RBI for Wilson. For William, it was 86 runs, 78 RBI. So big difference just in those two categories, even if percentage-wise, Wilson is just as good. Yeah, no, that that is a, a great point. And I don't think it's going to change, really, for the Cardinals. They have this you know log jam of... Uh, like Jordan Walker and Lars Newbar and Brendan Donovan. And they just have a bunch of names that they have to fit into the lineup. So yep. I don't think that's really going to change for Wilson Contreras next season either. The number nine catcher was Dalton Varsho, but he no longer has catcher eligibility. So we'll skip him for now. And then number 10 was Sean Murphy, who I know you guys spoke about quite a bit last week. Uh, the overall number is 251, 21 home runs, 68 RBI and 844 OPS. But as you pointed out last week, a tale of two seasons. The first half, Sean Murphy hit 306 with a 999 OPS. And then in the second half, 159 with a 585 OPS. His ground ball rate went up. His home run to fly ball ratio plummeted. His average exit velocity also plummeted. Maybe playing through an injury, maybe a concussion. I know he got like hit in the head with the bat a few times. That was kind of a weird thing that happened for him. Um, mm-hmm. I-, I still think there's a chance we can get like that true massive breakout season from Sean Murphy if he just kind of puts it together for a whole year. Yeah, I mean, the stat cast readings for the whole season, not, are. these aren't just from the first half, for the whole season, they're incredible. They really are. Uh, 81st percentile expected batting average, 95th percentile X-slug, that's 272 and 533 respectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, exit velocity readings are awesome. Like he looks like a if you if you just looked at the amount of red on Sean Murphy's Statcast page, you'd say this guy is a total stud, maybe the number one catcher in fantasy. But then the actual numbers, and you know they they ended up being a bit of a letdown. They're not so different from the Contreras brothers and and Will Smith because that first half was so good. But they're a little worse, and you know obviously don't live up to what Statcast says Sean Murphy should be. So I'm finding him difficult to rank for next year. Uh, and we'll get into that later in the podcast, I know. But I'm as of this moment, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, do I really want him that high? I think what happened to him in the second half, and, and maybe it was injury-related, is I, I don't think that was the true Sean Murphy. I think something was messed up with him. And the hope is that between the offseason, between next spring, he'll figure it out, he'll get right, he'll begin to perform up to those stat cast readings Again, but then there's that other variable there. And that's that manager Brian Snitker really seems to like Travis Darno a lot. Now, Darno's going to be 35 next year. So at, at some point, he's got to fade into the background, especially when Sean Murphy's as talented as he is. But you can't count on Sean. Well, while Darno is still there, you can't count on Sean Murphy to get the regular at bat allotment that most of these other catchers we've talked about uh, will get. So that's that's another mark against him in addition to just the unpredictability. So very, very difficult to know what to make of Sean Murphy at this point. He might be the most talented catcher in baseball. I mean, do I want to say that over Adley Rushman even? I don't know. He's definitely up there. It's it's a clear top three, let's say, in terms of pure catching talent between Rushman, Real Muto, and Sean Murphy. But... Murphy's clearly got the biggest worries of the three. Yeah, if you look at a per-game basis, right, head-to-head points per game, Sean Murphy, three fantasy points, and that was tied for second with Adley Rutschman. So he was really good when he played. It's just we need more volume. And as of now, I don't know we could say for certain that's going to happen. He's not going to get any games at DH either, as long as Marcelo Zuna is there. Is Eddie Rosario still under contract, Scott? He has a team option. Hmm. Well, I don't think Nine they want to. I don't think they want to play Ozuna in the outfield anyway. So he's probably just a DH only at this point. I would think so. Yeah, I, I think they'd be if if they let Rosario go, which sounds like a possibility. I don't know. Nine million isn't that much, but sounds like a possibility. I think like Vaughn Grissom would be more likely to play left field than Marcelo Ozuna. Yeah, yeah, and that that sounds about right to me. So uh, really great on a per game basis, but man, we just need Sean Murphy to uh, 
to get more playing time. And then potentially we get that huge, huge breakout season that we saw in the first half of this past year. Let's uh, run through some playoff updates. I got some news and notes as well that we can get to. And we talked about it a little bit already, but since you guys last recorded, each of the Rangers, Astros, D-backs, and Phillies advanced to the championship series. Uh, the Braves lost 3-1. to one. The Dodgers got swept. Crazy stuff. The Orioles got swept. I saw someone in the YouTube chat talking about Bochi Mania, which yeah, that guy just knows how to work his magic. Bruce Bochi and the Texas Rangers got it going on right now. And of course, the Astros did beat the Twins 3-1. to Speaking of yep. those Rangers... They took a commanding two-zip lead here on Monday night. Uh, in Game 1, Jordan Montgomery was awesome once again. You look at his last seven starts dating, dating back to the regular season. He has a 122 ERA. And Nathan Avaldi, boom, postseason starts. He's just back to like the awesome Nathan Avaldi we saw in the first half. He's got three quality starts in the playoffs so far. Uh, the Rangers mm-hmm. jumped all over Framber Valdez, who had an awful second half, too. So, I, I don't know. This is... Just adding more question marks to his ranking for next season as well. Any thoughts on the Rangers and Astros? Yeah, I mean, no. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't. Obviously, the Nathan Avaldi thing is is notable because we weren't sure whether he had anything left. He came back from his injury, and he, the velocity was still down. He was getting crushed. I mentioned last week that Lance Brozdowski uh, mentioned on Twitter. He pointed out on Twitter that. Uh, it seems like he made a mechanical change at the very end of the regular season that he's carried over into the playoffs, lower release point. He's getting the velocity back up again. So Valdi does appear to be fixed. I don't know how far our, how, 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 how much we're going to trust him based on that going into next season. I mean, how much can you trust any pitcher? I think he'll definitively be part of the glob, but how far up that glob should Nathan Avaldi be? I think we're still trying to figure that out. On the other hand, Fromber Valdez keeps getting crushed. Between the two, I still would say, okay, I'd rather have Fromber Valdez, but he he seems like he belongs in the glob too. Not totally sure what to make of that because I know the cutter that's kind of come and gone for him this year. It's he's he's throwing it still. The velocity's way up on it. So is it even the same pitch anymore? I don't know. But some it's hard to know what to make of what's going on with Fromber Valdez. Not just in the playoffs, but in late in September, too. And it's hard to know what to expect from Max Scherzer, who will actually be starting for the Rangers in Game 3, going up against Christian Javier. Uh, so, interesting times. I think his uh, his latest bullpen or whatever simulated game, he got up to 60 pitches. So, I don't know. We haven't seen Max Scherzer in like five or six weeks. Will be very, very interesting in that game three. Speaking of uh, the championship series, the Phillies jumped all over Zach Gallen in game one there. They hit three home runs, one from each of Kyle Schwarber, Bryce Harper, Nick Castellanos. I saw this tweet from Sarah Langs. Nick Castellanos is just the second player with five home runs in a three game postseason span, joining mm-hmm. Reggie Jackson. So, you know, only something two players have done. Nick Castellanos is uh, well, red, red hot right now. Nick Castellanos became the first player to have back-to-back multi-homer games in the postseason. Yeah. Which I feel like didn't get enough attention when it happened. Yep. Uh, He's on quite the run. Really is. And then Zach Wheeler continues his dominance this postseason. Three straight quality starts, 237 ERA, 26 strikeouts, over 19 innings pitched. I don't want to react too much to a small sample size, but... And I kind of alluded to this a little bit. I, I know trying to decipher who that SP3 is going to be in the rankings is kind of tough. I kind of lean towards Zach Wheeler right now, Scott. I just think in terms of floor and ceiling, what we've seen in the past like two to three seasons from Zach Wheeler, mm. he's been so reliable. So that's the way I'm leaning right now. Okay. I mean, he seems as good a choice as any. I'd kind of It feels kind of random to me, but I, I think whoever I end up Picking as my third-ranked starting pitcher will also feel random. You know how I'm leaning toward? I think I'm leaning toward Kevin Gosman. That's fair. Because he has so much strikeout upside from start to start. Uh, but, I mean, Wheeler is, you're right, he has a high floor. Now, I kind of felt feel like I designed the top of my starting pitcher rankings around floors, and it didn't go so well this year. But it's going to be the toughest position to sort out. And 
I probably will not take whoever is actually the third starting pitcher drafted because I won't believe in him that much more than the ninth starting pitcher drafted, whoever it is. All right, some quick news and notes. And this one took a turn for the worse, Scott. I heard you guys talk about Brandon Woodruff last week. He underwent surgery on Friday to repair the anterior capsule in his right shoulder. And now the Brewers expect him to miss most, if not all, of 2024. So there goes another potential top 12 starting pitcher. Yeah, whoever's ninth, it won't be Brandon Woodruff. Oh, gosh. Uh, Yeah, it was... This is how more how I expected it to go when I knew he he needed surgery to correct this. But then they were saying just last week, they're optimistic he'll be ready for opening day in 2024. Now, opening day 2025 is what it sounds like for Brandon Woodruff, which also raises concerns, I think, about his dynasty value because this is not the most straightforward procedure. Like It, it doesn't have the track record of like Tommy John surgery, for instance. Uh, so I'd be a little worried about that too. Not as worried as I am for Kyle Wright, who's under. Wait, what is it? It's the. It's. Is it the same thing? Is it the capsule? I can't. Kyle Wright has holes in his capsule in his right shoulder, and it's a capsule surgery for Woodruff too, right? Yeah, I don't know if it's exactly the same thing, because and again, I'm not a doctor. I'm. There's probably different capsules in your shoulder. I, I could be completely anterior capsule for Woodruff. Yeah, they they just really focus on the word holes. Perforations is how one site puts it for Kyle Wright. Uh, yeah. Perforations doesn't sound so bad. It sounds like paper towels. <laughs> uh, well, the, I guess the overarching theme here is it sounds like Kyle Wright is going to miss all of next season as well. So yeah, uh, we've yeah. already got. Potentially two starting pitchers off the board for next season. Orioles GM Mike Elias said last week that Jackson Holiday will be in Major League Camp next spring with a chance to make the opening day roster. Arguably the number one prospect in all of baseball. Holiday hit 323 with a 442 OPS, 12 homers, 24 steals, a 941 OPS as a 19-year-old across four different levels. And uh, I mentioned those two drafts already completed at NFBC. Jackson Holiday's ADP is 230. But if we get any inclination here, Scott, or idea that Jackson Holiday is going to be on the opening day roster, it's, you know. Going up, baby. Same thing. Gonna, as, it's going to be the same thing as Jordan Walker and Volpe from last year. You're going to love to see where I have Jackson Holiday ranked at shortstop for next year already. Very interesting. Very interesting. Speaking of the Jacksons, Brewers top prospect Jackson Churio, on the other hand, will open the season, uh, the 2024 season, with AAA. We'll see if that actually holds. GM Matt Arnold had this to say, quote, it's hard to put a timetable on it for a 19-year-old, but he has a chance to be really special. Duh. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that this is going to hold true. Like, if Jackson Trio has a monster spring training, are they really going to hold him back with the opportunity to get an extra draft pick compensation? I don't believe that. So we'll see that, what happens. That is not, since the rule change took effect with the, the new CBA last season, it seems like, GMs have prioritized the chance at an extra draft pick over the extra year of team control that they used to prioritize. So yeah, if Jackson Chorio has the sort of spring that shows he's going to be up sooner than later, then the incentive seems to be to have him on the opening day roster, but doesn't necessarily mean they'll make that decision. Uh, I think obviously the Cardinals regretted making that decision with Jordan Walker since he ended up not yet. The, the player has to spend the whole season on the roster for the, that draft pick compensation to come into play. So it's, I don't know if I exactly believe what Matt Arnold is saying either, but ultimately it's his decision. All right. Some other quick notes. Late season sleeper Michael King will remain in the Yankees starting rotation entering next season. He mentioned 150 plus innings as a potential target workload for next year. Byron Buxton underwent an arthroscopic procedure on his right knee and he has not played 100 games since 2017. He's done that only once in his nine year career. Alex Kirilov will undergo surgery later this month to repair the labrum in his left shoulder. He was solid when he played this year, but this seems to be a constant theme so far in Alex Kirilov's uh, career as well. The good news is that it's not the wrist, but now it's the shoulder. Uh, and yes. in actual baseball news, this was uh, kind of caught me off guard. Maybe the same for you, Scott. Kim Ang and the Marlins have parted ways. And according to a report from Jeff Passan, the Marlins plan to hire a president of baseball operations this offseason 
who would work above Kim Ang as the team's mm. top baseball executive, which is kind of odd to me because the Marlins just won 84 games. They went to the playoffs for the first time in an actual full lane season in a while. And she made some savvy moves. She acquired Jake Berger. She acquired Josh Bell. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I thought she did a pretty admirable job. So I don't know. Kind of weird. Yeah, I'm not really sure what to make of any of that. We'll see if she's some other team's GM next year. There are several openings. Uh, I, I know Alex Anthopoulos left the Blue Jays kind of unexpectedly after you know getting them into the playoffs and left mostly on his own terms, it seemed like, and, and then had to spend a few years assisting in the Dodgers organization before he got his chance with the Braves. So we'll see if Kim Ang goes that path or if she jumps right back in somewhere else, which is certainly a possibility. All right, let's take our final break. When we return, a little sneak peek. Scott's early 2024 catcher rankings. We'll talk about it right after this. It's the NFL offseason, but on pick six, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, pick six has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Way too early, 2024 catcher rankings and the top five, I don't think will surprise anybody. They're all names that we've talked about so far. Number one is Adley Rutschman, followed by JT Realmuto, William Contreras, Will Smith, Sean Murphy. We talked about all these players, Scott. Is there anything you'd like to add about, I don't know, maybe this just being a, a big old tier or I guess trying to sort through it? Well, if, I, if we're going to do the tier thing... I guess Rushman, Real Muto, William Contreras, Will Smith. I'm not exactly sure where to draw the line. If if Rushman and Real Muto should be their own tier. In points leagues, I would not have Real Muto second, by the way. I would have William Contreras ahead of him. It's mostly the steals thing, elevating Real Muto in categories leagues. I think realistically, I'm not going to draft any of these guys. So it's hard for me to uh, get animated about where where the tiers are distinguished, obviously I'll have to at some point, but uh, I'm not particularly motivated to at this point. I guess the most questionable of these five, and again, it's Rushman, Real Muto, William Contreras, Will Smith, and Sean Murphy, is does Sean Murphy belong as high as fifth? I don't know. What 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 is your leaning as far as that goes? Does it seem too high to you? My early lean is... No, it is not too early. Yes, he deserves to be that high for all the reasons we mentioned. I mean, he was amazing this year. Uh, the StatCast data is there, and he's in the prime of his career, and he's part of one of, if not the best lineup in all of baseball. So, I mean, you could easily talk yourself into it if, you know, we get some more details this offseason that, you know, he was playing through something in the second half that would explain why Sean Murphy was as bad as he was. And I loved mm-hmm. him last year. And, you know, if he's being drafted as like the fifth catcher next season, then I, I'm probably going to be in on Sean Murphy once again. So very early indications is that he won't be drafted as high as fifth. Well, he'll so. be drafted lower than that. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. One, two, three, four. And then, yeah, he was the fifth catcher drafted in ADP so far um, from okay. his two drafts. Yeah, but draft. It was yeah. it was pretty late. It was like a hundred. By early indications, I mean sentiments on Twitter. I guess. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go, Sean Murphy. I'm in. I'm back in. Uh, six through ten in the catcher rankings. A name we have not spoke about yet: Yiner Diaz of the Houston Astros, followed by Cal Raleigh, Wilson Contreras, Mitch Garver of the blank. He's a free agent this offseason, and yep. Salvador Perez. Yiner uh-huh. Diaz. 
this past season hit 282 with 23 home runs and 846 OPS, which was third best among catchers with at least 300 plate appearances. He just turned 25 years old. He marries this blend of hit tool and power together. Part of a great lineup. Martin Maldonado is a free agent this offseason. Oh, I mean, <laughs> the sky is the limit here, Scott, for Yiner Diaz. Yeah. I mean, Yiner Diaz, at least as far as the offensive attributes go, his stack cast page looks about like Sean Murphy's. All that red. Expected batting average of 287. Wow. Expected slug, slug of 546. And, you know, he has the minor league track record to back it up. When we did see him playing consistency for the consistently for the Astros this year, he seemed to back it up then too. Was very productive in fantasy. Well, I mean, even looking at the defensive matrix, not a great, not defensive matrix, defensive metrics, not a good framer is Yiner Diaz, but he's good at throwing out runners, and he's a better framer than Martin Maldonado is. It's a head scratcher why Maldonado got run over him behind. That's a weird way to put that. It was <laughs> why catch why Martin Maldonado got prioritized behind the plate because clearly not the same standards offensively, and at least the Statcast readings would suggest not as good as a defender either. Apparently, they just the pitching staff felt really comfortable with him. Is the line out of Houston? He is a free agent. Maldonado is, as you point out, Frank, and. Well, it would, it's easy to see them bringing him back because I doubt there's going to be much competition for him, his services. I wonder if the Astros will let him go just so Dusty Baker can't choose to play him over Yiner Diaz. By ranking Diaz sixth, I'm kind of presuming Maldonado is gone. So if it turns out he's not, I'm going to have to move Yiner Diaz down. But this is a fun group, this group of five. Basically... To explain my rankings here, so go back to the last group. Adley Rushman, JT pretty easy to put those four at the top given their track records. Sean Murphy is where it gets really hard to rank them. And then it continues here with Yiner Diaz at sixth, Cal Raleigh seventh, Wilson Contreras eighth, Mitch Garver ninth, and Salvador Perez tenth. Like very, very unsure of myself, very unsure of the order here. Uh, particularly since we don't know exactly what playing time is going to look like for Yiner Diaz and Mitch Garver yet. Yeah, Mitch Garver, as we mentioned, a free agent this offseason. He turns 33 years old in January. That didn't matter this year. The guy is a legit good hitter. I mean, whenever he's been healthy, he has an 825 career OPS. It's just, is Mitch Garver going to wind up on a team where he could DH often? As much yeah. as he did with Texas, you know, he was basically their everyday DH. So uh, questions abound for Mitch Garver. Yeah, I mean, certainly down the stretch he was. He obviously got enough games at catcher that he retains eligibility there. Um, I'm trying to see exactly how many games he started. He, he, he sat out something like two games in the last two months. So he had a huge playing time advantage for a catcher eligible player while he, while he was the full-time DH. And I presume getting that much time at DH allowed him to stay healthier too. And um, we saw Mitch Garver be what he should have always been if there weren't those interruptions to playing time, both health and, uh, you know, just, just the fact he was sharing the role with another catcher. So optimally, the Rangers would bring him back as their primary DH again. But, you know, maybe some other team wants to play him more, pay him more. And, uh, Maybe that means catching more, which wouldn't necessarily be great for Mitch Garver's fantasy value. 11 through 15 in the catcher rankings, Jonah Heim, Francisco Alvarez, Logan Ohapi, Bo Naylor, and Caber Ruiz. Scott, this is such a fun group. I mean, you've got young, high upside catchers here. Francisco Alvarez just hit 25 home runs as a rookie, but incredibly shrieky. If you look at his OPS by month, it's all over the place. Randomly struggled against lefties, which was not an issue for him in the minors. So I think he will be much better next season. Uh, Logan Ohapi hit 14 home runs in just 51 games. That is a 32 homer pace over 120 games. So I, I don't know if he's going to maintain that kind of pace, but he hits the ball mm -hmm. extremely hard. The expected numbers are awesome. 
Uh, Bo Naylor, he gives you some power, some speed. He finished the season incredibly strong. His final 28 games, he hit 321 with seven homers, four steals, and 1113 OPS. And uh, Caber Ruiz, he really kind of quietly put it together this year. He hit 260, he had 18 home runs, 67 RBI, and makes a boatload of contact. I love this group, Scott. It continues how difficult catcher is to rank. I think it starts with Sean Murphy at number five and continues here through number 15 with Kiebert Ruiz and, and maybe goes even a little beyond that. Uh, I, I know when I first showed these rankings to you, you were surprised I had Francisco Alvarez as low as 12th. I think you were saying he could go sixth or seventh at the position. And I don't necessarily disagree. It's just going to depend what people prioritize. My, my feeling is... I, I got the impression that people were down on Francisco Alvarez because of how much he struggled down the stretch for the Mets. But he, had, he did show a lot of power. He has top prospect pedigree, and there's a good chance he takes a step forward next year. Maybe people want to buy into that upside for him. I think the the low-key exciting one here is Bo Naylor, who um, does bring that element of speed that's so rare at catcher. I think he's the one who could challenge JT Real Muto as the preeminent base stealer at the position and also a credi- incredibly disciplined hitter. Doesn't strike out much at all, so that helps elevate Bo Naylor all the more in points leagues. And, you know, he struggled to get consistent playing time for the Guardians when he first got called up. But in the final month, he hit 304 with four homers, four steals, a 1052 OPS. Really seemed to find his footing get comfortable in the, at the major league level level. I, I think I'd be fine with Bo Naylor as my starter going into next year in a one catcher league. And here I am ranking him 14th. And I think it continues on with this next group, as you kind of alluded to 16 through 20 at the catcher position, Gabriel Moreno, Luis Campusano, Shea Langoliers, Tyler Stevenson, and Austin Wells, specifically the two names at the top here, Gabriel Moreno hit 284 with seven home runs, six steals in 111 games. And uh, after he returned from injury, he played incredibly well. He's hit a couple of home runs here in the postseason. And it's just, if he could just raise the launch angle, I mean, I, I think the upside could be massive for him. Luis Campusano, please, Padres, please, I am begging you, just unleash this guy. Let him play 120 plus games because. Look at what he just did in 847 OPS, 319 batting average in just 49 mm-hmm. games here. He's entering his age 25 season. Gary Sanchez is a free agent. I mean, if, if they just let him play every day, Scott, I, I think there's really big upside for, honestly, a few of these names, but sp- specifically Moreno and Campusano as well. Yeah, and that's where I see the cutoff in terms of I'd be happy with this guy as my starting catcher versus I wouldn't be happy with him. I don't know if it's after Gabriel Moreno at 16. It may be after Luis Campusano at 17, depending on what the Padres decide to do at catcher going into next year. If they say Campusano's our guy, okay, I'm happy with Campusano as a starter too. And that's 17 options at catcher that I feel almost equally good about. Uh you know, I'm, I'm not saying Campusano's is, belongs in the same tier as Adley Rushman, but I'm saying for the difference in price, I might rather have Campusano or Gabriel Moreno or, you know, whoever goes last to this group, Kiba Ruiz, Bo Naylor. Um, I, I think they could end up being top 10 options at the position, if not better. I think they have that kind of upside. And I think in a one-catcher league, if you miss on them, then it's pretty easy to swap them out for a hot hand at the position. So I don't know that it's a, I don't know that that catcher is shaping up to be a position I'm going to invest heavily in. Obviously, two catcher leagues, it changes the depth at the position, but still you're talking about 17 options that I feel good about having as a starter. So I don't know that I don't know that you need to go be that much more aggressive about drafting a catcher in that format either. Um, the last three here, Shea Langoliers, Tyler Stevenson, Austin Wells. I mean, at least Langoliers and Stevenson in a two-catcher league is your second catcher. You're not going to mind that so much. There is some upside there. I don't think I, I don't think they can grow into as much as the 17 ahead of them. But I think they have strengths and they're not going to they're not going to kill you as a second catcher 
Wells, Austin Wells, I rounding out the top 20 here for the Yankees. You know, he showed some signs in September. They they seem to play him a lot behind the plan. I don't know if that's necessarily. Sorry, I'm garbling my words here. They seem to play him a lot behind the plate in September. I don't know if that's necessarily the plan going into next year or if it was just might as well use him. We're out of it and see how it goes. Um, but a swing is well-suited for Yankee Stadium. And so I think there's upside here with Austin Wells. He's kind of like just the... If you're if you're wanting a lottery ticket late in a two catcher league, Austin Wells is kind of the choice for me. But um, but there are a lot of there there are other ways I could have gone with number twenty a catcher if I had decided not to go with the lottery ticket. All right, we're gonna wrap there for Scott. I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five star rating on Apple or Spotify, and we will be back again on Thursday. Bye bye. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast wherever you get your podcasts.